Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggall. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. James Bland, director of BVA BDRC, joins us this week to look back over the summer and chat about whether we or anyone else could do it all over again. Is now the time for the sector to shout louder or is it too distracted by biscuits with faces on? Hello and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, the sort of weekly but we've had quite a lot of weeks off podcast from New Dog PR. Had to, no, we've had so much time off. An appropriate <laughs> level. An appropriate <laughs> level to rejuvenate, to relax, to come back with a renewed enthusiasm for life uh, and work and PR and things and stuff. Um, Catherine, welcome back. Uh, you're back in Paris. How was your holidaying? My holiday was deeply pleasing, thank you. Um, we discovered that the dog is not ideally suited to a countryside environment, being more of an urban dog, and there were trips to the vet to uh, to placate him. But he's fine now. He's fine now. He's back with his waiters. And how was the Croatia? <laughs> the Croatia was joyful. I think we'll probably come on to the slightly more stressful than normal um, approaches and returns to Croatia or anywhere, actually, um, as we as we go through this podcast. But when we were there, the beer was cold and the sun was hot. So mm-hmm. it was delightful. And there were foreign people and there was Ooh. culture. I know. <gasps> it was delightful. Um, we have this week with us James Bland, who is the director, a director at BVA BDRC. Welcome, James, to New Tricks. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you both. Did you enjoy holidaying? I absolutely did, yes. Um, it was it was relaxing, but by the same token, it was stimulating. Uh, all of the Ooh. mental gymnastics around planning tests and getting results in the nick of time to travel and uh, the change from amber plus to amber the day before we returned and all Ooh. sorts of... Uh, all sorts of permutations that you don't normally have to contend with. So, so, uh, so you presumably then were prepared to quarantine it up in order to go on holiday. No, I was prepared to stay. <laughs> on hol- I was prepared to stay on holiday longer until twenty twenty two. Pretty much until the truant officer came and asked why our six year old wasn't in school. Uh, we'd have stayed until pretty much then. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yes, and possibly people still are, but it's delightful that you're you're not and you're here. Yes. No, I'm inclined to believe that there's a whole generation of people where we're, we hear a lot about these sort of digital nomads and how we're all going to be digital nomads. But I've got a funny feeling that these are going to be a lot of involuntary digital nomads who can't, you know, you can never go home again. That sort of thing. I can't go back. It's like, um, what was that thing with Lawrence um, DiCaprio? He couldn't go back. Oh, Inception. He couldn't go back. Uh... That, he couldn't go back to the US. Very possibly. Yeah. I was, I, my instinct went to the, the clicking your heels together three times and no place like home. Could Not really home, never get again. No, yeah. no, whether, whether there was a wizard involved or not. Exactly. So the risk is like arrest or being crushed by a house. <laughs> Holiday stakes are high they at this are, time. They are. Well, I'm glad that neither of you had were crushed by a house or had, you know, 
rest forever and and we're all back back in the game um right we haven't talked about biscuits for a while we will talk about hotel land Mm. obviously but we need to talk about what we ate on holiday what baked goods were involved any delights we need to do you like to share with the group james what were you eating uh, just about anything and everything, having having been on a, a diet of sorts since about January. Oh, um, for why? I decided that August was going to be my cheat day. Um, Very good. <laughs> August also contains my birthday, my wife's birthday and our oh. anniversary. It seemed a, a you know perfect opportunity to, to relax. Uh, unfortunately, I've undone seven months worth of of work more or less. I thought so, you were going to say and, and several top buttons. <laughs> well, quite, yeah. Um so the next two or three months I think are going to be revisiting old ground and seeing uh, what what can what can come back off the running total. Uh obviously being a market researcher I've been keeping tables and charts so I can plot the exact point earlier in the year where I sort of reach the the same weight. So I, I think I'm currently at about February again. Oh, very good. Very good. And the, and the good thing about going to France is that it's not called gorging yourself in France. It's called being a gourmand. Mm. It's, it's called supper, isn't it? Or, um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> what delightful things did you eat in the south of France, Catherine? Well, you've you mentioned biscuits. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes. No, sorry. No, no. no go. You, you carry on with anything. Biscuits is related is perfectly acceptable. The, the French do a very pleasing range of, of sort of biscuits I remember from my childhood, from various... French exchange oh, trips, yes. so uh, the ones with the chocolate, the sort of sandwich biscuits with chocolate in the mm, middle. Bit of a prince. Um, that's it, yes. So or a BN, if you want a face on it, you can choose face or no face on your chocolate-filled biscuit. Uh, preferably no face. I don't like to feel well, like I'm being judged. Yeah, no, no, no. But you take the eyes off first is the way to eat it, like a gingerbread man. That sounds like the behaviour of someone dangerous to society. Dangerous, maybe, but not judged by biscuits. Possibly, possibly. Um, so yes, a few of those have um, a few of those have have tripped like fantastic and have, have disappeared, never to be seen again. Mm. Um, sweets, actually, in France, Carambar and uh, oh, yes, Orangina Haribo is a particular <gasps> particular weakness. What the what now, Orangina yes, Haribo? It's quite. Oh my! I bet on the mouth. Oh. Um, but they, they, I can't remember whether the red ones or the orange ones are the most most violent. Maybe you can help me on that, James. Um, but yeah. after a while, you sort of become immune to them all. No, and all all other tastes for twenty four hours. Well, the in, while your insides turn a sort of brighter shade of neon, presumably. Mm. It was it was when somebody pointed out to me that the, the stuff that makes them sour is in fact acid. Brilliant. Um, you, you would have thought that would put me off, but. So yeah, much. but they don't. It's the same for fruits, and they don't advertise those in the supermarket saying, you know, get your ball of acid enclosed here with all the oranges. Do they? Acid ball is not how they how, not how they sell it. I, I, I'm not experienced in the ways of teenagers, but maybe they should. <laughs> <laughs> you raise a valid Did point. Get, get you to your five a day. I don't know. I'm still recovering from those videos of Michael Gove over the weekend. So happily, I seem to have missed them. He was yeah. having it having it in a in a I believe is the term in a club is this back to the nightclub thing oh no is this as in back to like he'd gone to the nightclub in a suit and was was having it um large 
there oh, seems no. to be no end to the creative ways the government can find to try and harm the hospitality sector. <laughs> exactly. So the last thing you want is after, you know, you're going to a club, you're thinking it's been a long, long time, you can't remember how to do it. Don't take these, you know, what maybe risks or not risks. And then, then you go and then there's Michael Gove, like, you know, big fish, little fish in the middle of the dance floor. <laughs> Imagine that is, the, that is the limit of most people's risk-taking so right be, there. That would be it for me in clubbing forever, I think. <laughs> and then I the went back and you wouldn't believe what I saw. <laughs> was, it always like this? was it always like this? <laughs> Maybe that's what he's hoping for. Yes, I've always been here. <laughs> yes. Loving it, loving it, loving it. <laughs> oh, no. You're afraid to say this. Um, right, any more, any, any more biscuit contributions? Any more biscuit or baked goods I've got or no biscuit we but, but we were um, the local restaurant that was sort of within walking distance which is what you need um, was a, a pancake specialist um, they only did pancakes and booze obviously um, in their many 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 forms so you could have them with seafood on and you could have them with goat's cheese and duck duck something on and all this kind of thing and it was called l'encrepide Oh, I see what they've done there. Yeah, I saw it as well. <laughs> very good. It's very good. And did you frequent? Obviously. Obviously. Very much. One must what support was the... people who are willing to do this kind of thing. <laughs> what was your favourite topping? I liked filling. the one with the, you could tell, with the little sort of fish in like a sort of a, it was like a, like a bouillabaisse. Oh, fancy. Oh, yes. Fancy pancakes. Very good. Lots of Dutch there for fans of uh, global travelling Europeans. Actually, on biscuits, I have something that, that might interest the two of you as linguists. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm, I couldn't quite put my, my finger my, fr- my French teacher would oppose that description, but okay. <laughs> so you continue. Well, pe- people what work with words then. There you go. Um, it's, it's the correct tense to use for something that hasn't happened, but is so likely to happen that you might already class it as having had happened. Having had, having had happened. Having happened. So I'll give you I'll give you the context. Uh, I've got a particular weakness for bourbons, um, weakness and snobbery at the same time. But that's a different matter. But um, bourbons are kind of the Achilles heel in that a packet can be made to disappear with without you know a second thought. They can just go. So as a result, they're not generally welcome at home. They've been kind of you know annexed um, and told never never to never to return. But um, as one of my smaller birthday presents. Or, or presumably beheaded if you're going to pursue the whole bourbon thing. Mm, beheaded or do you, do you separate them in half and get the cream out and then eat the cream-free half? But we can discuss technique later. Um, yes. a, a packet was bought for me, however, for by my wife um, as, as one of my um, birthday presents, in fact, chosen, chosen by my son. And therefore then being bought means that she has accepted, she is at one with the fact that I'm going mm. to eat them. So yes. I've sort of got permission to eat them. Now, accepting that these are going to be eaten. These are calories that are going to have been consumed. Future unconditional? Future unconditional. I mean, does it matter then if I eat them over the space of two weeks or if I just smash them all in an afternoon? Given that yes, I think, I think they're pre-considered. So they've been, they've been priced in. They're baked in almost. Yes. Um, baked into the assumption. So, so calories that are going to have already been consumed. Mm. Do they count them when? I think mm. they've already been counted, and you sort yes. of yes, yes, factor them in when you step on the scales. That the, the reading you're getting is artificially deflated by the absence of these biscuits that already 
mm. have mm. been going to be consumed. Yes. Yes. I think these are deep but very poignant matters of discussion here that we pride ourselves on. Absolutely. Oh, so much oh. so. That's the biscuit police. So, so is the biscuit police or 400 <laughs> removal men or a, or a, or or a, a Swedish or a... electrician. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> and tap. Right. Should we do a little mm. bit? Uh, we're, we're, we're racing through this. I think we should probably talk about our the uh, the sector that keeps the roof off over our heads. Um, James, what's happening? You do swathes and swathes of research into all different types of things. What is sort of current what are some of the findings tell us what you know okay well quite a lot going on um if we focus on this country in the staycation space obviously given the restrictions that have been placed on travel but also a a sense of nervousness in some cases around foreign travel um the government has been quite good in one regard sort of accidentally promoting the staycation sector by putting people off traveling mm. overseas um, you say you say accidentally accidentally like it's an accident it, it could very well have been a deliberate strategy carefully planned out and meticulously executed. Uh, yes no, no, no. your use of meticulous has, uh, has blown my theory out of the water I, I am open to to that possibility um all sorts of interpretations are possible um the hoteliers I've spoken to have been pleased by the recovery they've seen. Um, in fact, the one I was staying at over the weekend said that they'd had a couple of really excellent months, and from a broad range of um, a broad range of segments. So, some corporate, um, quite a few weddings been going on. Uh, deferred weddings have been catching up, um, and a lot of leisure travel as well. This was a, a hotel in plenty of space, plenty of grounds. Uh, with 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 lots of facilities to offer, so not one that is narrowly focused on one segment. So a, a broad base is what they'd expect. Um, I think that there is a general <laughs> caution around what the future holds. Nobody wants to get too excited, uh, too ahead of themselves. Um, we are seeing a marked recovery in interest in ad hoc research projects which just died at the end of march last year for for obvious reasons as as belts were tightened and tightened further um there is a a thirst for knowledge again whether from greece or, or elsewhere or whether you study at st martin's college or whatever there is a general appetite for um insights again which is useful when that's your business um, but I think there is still this looming fear of what's going to happen when the kids go back, if the case races increase, if hospitalizations increase. Um, and if people are anything like me, they're looking at the daily data that the government releases and looking at the charts and looking at the trends and trying to predict where it's going to go. Apparently 69 million a day are, which seems like an extraordinarily high number. Um, but, um, but I certainly do on this side of the channel, um, because, uh, obviously, uh, that it seems that hospitalisation is is the only one that we need to look at. Um, so, can you see um, a scenario for hotels and a good pulp reference? By the way, you can't see it, but I'm doing that. It's very good. It. It's very good. Um, yeah. Do you do you think that um, we could be in a 
positioned certainly in this kind of shortish term where hotels go more seasonal because I think what we've learned over the last two summers in the UK is that it does reopen and you know there's money to be made can you see a sort of a permanent um, certainly this this part of the world um, that many of the hotels were boarded up um, for the duration and not planning on opening again till September despite the huge volume of Americans that we have which obviously you know we're not going to have any more now but um, can you see a sort of an enforced seasonality for the foreseeable or will people sort of clatter on I think that if we shut down again or if there are restrictions again over the winter, it's probably something that people will look to, will look at as a, as a model. I, I think at the moment there is a hope that that won't be necessary. Um, in general, I think there will be some properties and some destinations where, well, frankly, that already happens. I think there are there are large parts mm-hmm. of the country that, that do shut down in the off-season. Actually, perversely, they might go the opposite because if we can't go away and get our winter sun, then we might seek some winter rain in various parts of the country. So that it does are, sound lovely. That are restricted, <laughs> restricted to sun rain. Hmm. So, you know, you, you can imagine that um, Cornwall, for instance, uh, might have a well, less of an off-season if, if that is the, the only place that is available to go for um, half-term breaks for November, for, for December. So it's it's all a roundabout way of saying I don't really know on that. Oh, but cry out I, loud! I, I can <laughs> I can imagine that if we have another winter like the one just gone, that mm. there will be some who actually bake that in to to go back to biscuits, bake that into their to mm. their forecast as a a feasible strategy, and and whether they actually put it in as plan A or they have a a, a contingency or they have a sort of a crisis plan that they can implement if that happens. That, that might be where we end up. I wonder if, so all three, well, so Catherine, you are in foreign land anyway, but you've travelled within foreign land. James and I both travelled from the UK separately to foreign land on holiday. So out of our enormously huge research pool of three, I wonder mm. if the fact that people are have done, have attempted a, win, a summer summer foreign holiday might make them more likely to attempt if they do if they do normally do an October foreign holiday. If you've done it once, the fear of it was definitely worse than the reality in my case. It was it was a <laughs> ball ache and it was stressful, but we did it and we got back and everyone was negative. And this was there were 20 of us who I mean there are not 20 in my family. There were five families and remarkably all of us got there with negative tests and all of us got back negative tests and we didn't lose any children along the way. So I'm now more likely to think I might attempt a foreign holiday in October because I've done it once. If I hadn't have gone foreign in the summer, perhaps I wouldn't. I don't know. Discuss. I think you might have something there. Sorry, button immediately because um, I was in the UK for the August Bank Holiday weekend, uh, which is only very recent, um, and still waiting for my test to arrive. Thank you, Dante Labs. I have my ninety-six quid back now, um, but um, but that's obviously that's dead. And I think that those tests will become an ongoing travel tax, which we won't go into here in too much detail. But um, clearly, they will be. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that you know, extra money you have to decide. What struck me coming out on the Eurostar um, last week was that a it was it was almost at capacity, and they're put, going to be putting on more trains now um, than they have been. I remember when it went down to one train a day. But a lot of those people 
clearly were not frequent travellers and there was a lot more nervousness and a lot more people being tetchy with each other in the queue and going down to get on the train. And you could feel the tension of these were people who obviously were not travelling or hadn't travelled for the last year and there was very wound up, which is not something that you normally get on the Eurostar because the people who've been grinding it out over the last year are now bored of it and over it. But you could really feel that this was something they hadn't been done. And I did wonder exactly that, whether they would think, okay, that was fine, or depending on whether it wasn't fine, and certainly the two guys next to me who were caught in a horrible logic argument um, at the border in front of the English, two two Americans who'd studied at Cambridge, had come to Paris for the weekend, were going back to London, were flying back to the US the next morning, and they'd come with their little piece of NHS paper saying they'd had a second vaccination. And the guy said, where's your proof of first vaccination? And they said, well, we've got the proof of second vaccination, but where's the proof of first vaccination? And, but but I've, what? <laughs> but I've got the, the second one. I, I To get the second one, you must have the first. Well, if you haven't got the first one, and he made them, even though he knew that they were flying back the next morning to the US, he made them go out of the line and buy their tests and promise to quarantine. So, um, which was completely ridiculous in every way. But you can see they were like, but we, but it's a second. Yeah. But where's your first? What? But what? <laughs> Who? Who comes after one? <laughs> yes. So I, what? No, no. So, yes, yeah, so you can see that they were, like, I imagine, going to go back to the US and not be in a, in a wild and lavish hurry to return. I think you could be onto something with that. Um, I, we haven't asked this of any of our, in any of our research projects, so I have no data to back this up, but it, it intuitively makes a bit of sense. Uh, I'm considering my experience commuting, which uh, has been very limited in the last. 15 months, as you might imagine, but has started slowly to increase. And thinking back two or three or four weeks ago to my first trip back into London, where I was incredibly hesitant and did absolutely everything in triplicate. So I had my printed copy of my tickets. I had three masks. I had the whole shebang with me, Uh, literally every piece of electronic equipment you could imagine in my laptop bag, just in case. Um, to my trip last week where I was a lot more casual and a lot more relaxed and a lot more um, comfortable with, with the timings again. I, you know, I think I set off to get to the train station 40 minutes ahead of my train, whereas you, you can do it in 24 on a good day normally. Um, so there could well be this, let's fall back into, into habits. But then I'm thinking about the sort of vast group of people who wouldn't have done anything this summer at yeah. all. Um, they're going to be finding their feet again, and, and for them it might be, well, let's let's go domestic, and then maybe build up to overseas next year. It's it's just all too it's just all too much. I can't face it. And yes, I, think, I think if I didn't I didn't have to travel, <clears throat> then the chances of I'm lucky where I live because you know the domestic market is phenomenal and sunny. Um, if I didn't have to travel, whether I would or not is is debatable. So not just from a, from a, I don't want to be crammed in with loads of people health standpoint, although that is a feature, but yes, I think I would give it because you, because you don't, I, mean, I remember the first time traveling again, once it all, everything had calmed down, you could, and it was nightmarish the first time we were, you know, didn't sleep well the night before we got in all our papers. What, what if they asked this? What if they asked that? Um, they didn't, they just, you know, they've been doing it all the time, but you do think, Oh God. And if you didn't have to do it, you wouldn't do it. You know, just, just for context on those groups, um, our holiday trends uh, research is an, an annual publication, and as of May 2021, so ahead of the summer season, 
42% of UK adults were seriously considering an overseas short break or holiday in the next 12 months. Now, that sounds like quite a high number, but historically that level has been around 70%. So even if that held and 42% went and, and did their trips and therefore would consider going again this winter, there is still almost as many. There's still a, a good chunk of 30% who historically would have travelled overseas but just didn't this year. And it, it's how they will find their feet again. Hmm. And so what does this mean for the hotel sector? Are they screwed? Do they need to be converting everything into sheds, co-living? <laughs> co-living in a shed. Have we done co-living in a shed as a segment? Could that be a new thing? I'm, I, having seen some of the co-living offerings out there, I believe some people are well ahead of me there, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Clearly no, no, no such thing as an original idea anymore. <laughs> Sorry. To our, please do answer, James, before I butt in again. One of, one of the things, one of the observations that my team and I sort of make to each other anecdotally and we've been doing it time and time again in everything we've we've noted is that the pandemic has not brought about many new behaviors now bear with me that might sound a bit of an odd statement to make we think it's accelerated lots of trends that were already beginning so we think that it is, um, if you look at office space and flexible working, it has accelerated a trend that had already started. Now, whether it again slows down and it, it won't fully reverse, but it, it might go a little bit back to, to where it was in terms of people being office based. It's not actually created a new thing. People have been working remotely for some time. It's just more of them had to do it very, very quickly, perhaps more quickly than would organically have been the case. Um, With accommodation, it seems to have pushed people towards things like Airbnb. We we use the term home share or homestay as a a kind of category. Really, Airbnb defines that like, like Hoover defines vacuum cleaner. But we saw a huge narrowing of what we call the the, the comfort gap between people who said they were comfortable staying in a hotel and people who said they were comfortable staying in homestay accommodation and comfort can mean a number of things, not just, you know, nice chair and being able to relax. It can be things around security. It can be things around anxiety, around collecting keys, around finding the place, around parking, all sorts of things. Before the pandemic, there was a 10 to 12 point gap in the comfort levels in favor of, hotels in the midst of the pandemic both dropped dramatically but that gap disappeared they were at the same level and as those comfort levels recover if they stay together and let's say they they get back up to to a case where hotels was at 80 percent comfort level which i think is more or less what it was before the pandemic if home share homestay follows that back up to 80 percent doesn't top out at the 68, 69 it was before, then that is going to be an acceleration in a trend towards um, the homestay economy that that we have seen over the last decade. Uh, So not a new thing, but an acceleration of something that existed. Now, actually, I think there is an opportunity for 
hotels with cleanliness protocols with um, levels of reassurance that that they provide i think there's always been an opportunity for them it's whether they are able to to play the hands that they're dealt correctly yes what i what i will say is uh, and i've sent the, the attendees on this call a photo uh which you should be able to see in your chat um we may use it in fact to illustrate um illustrate this podcast so that everyone can see it um but it shows you what happens when you stay at a homestay and uh, and one of the people that you're with is not a, a frequent driver talking about james oh, about, um, having I think- having to get get there and there we go you can just see I that i think i may have seen this haven't i yeah oh so- yes I think we could use that at some point. We'll share that with the. Uh, we'll share that with. So. I think so. It's important. <laughs> to see. It's not. It's not. Yeah, a little uh, little light understeering there on the way to come pick us up from the train station. Comfort um, rating diminished slightly. <laughs> exactly. Less comfort in that uh, environment. Mm, so so yes, um, yes. I mean, all all the holidaying I've done. And all the working from beach and all the rest of the things I've done this summer and last summer were all um, at, in the sharing economy, not at Airbnb, um, for reasons that I've well, gone, gone into many times this podcast. <laughs> but but other, other, other platforms are available and, and I have used those other platforms. And, um, and, I, and I think it goes back not just to the convenience and the ability to lock yourself off from the rest of the pandemic ridden masses though that was certainly a feature last year and it's a huge bonus um but to go back to the more convenient things you're staying with friends you're staying with children you're not going to stay in a hotel you might stay in a resort uh but the control you're there for two or three weeks you you want control over what you do and the hotel sector despite all of its launching of i believe one brand um on the part of hilton which is flexible which they say is not a response to Airbnb, there has been no response from the hotel sector to successfully battle with Airbnb, unless you count Marriott bringing, expanding their offering and Accor expanding their offering. And both of those reported over the summer that it was all going absolutely splendidly. And in Marriott's case, that they filled in lots of blank space that where they didn't have representation, i.e. in big houses where you can stay with your mates. Um, so, so yes, whether the hotel sector chooses to listen to this and continue to act um, I should be gripped, gripped to see. Hilton have done a couple of things though, haven't they? So I think Motto, the brand, that's it. The brand you mentioned, Motto, with the adjoining rooms that you can book and you can configure. I think that's that's really innovative. And, and of all the brand launches I've seen in the last three or four years, and for context, that's approximately four thousand seven hundred eighty-three. I believe so. Hang on, Bing. Um, there we are, roughly. Yep. <laughs> of which four thousand six hundred were within the biggest five companies. But of, of all of those brands, brand launches. And many of them are just sort of a, a recycling of different concepts, but placed together. So it's it's something that is sort of announced as being very, very new, but actually it's five or six things that might have been new individually, but they're, they're being brought together. Motto, I, I think, is different because it does that. Yeah. And I think actually elsewhere in their portfolio, Hilton have offered guaranteed adjoining rooms, which perhaps goes a little way to addressing some of that. But we flagged this up in about 2016. Um, one of my colleagues, Tim Sander, did some qualitative research amongst travellers who had made the leap to homestay. Do you want me to start that again, given that my phone bleeped in the no, middle? No, sorry, authentic, authentic yeah, noise. Exactly. It's happening, it's happening. <laughs> authentic noise, genuine, mm. genuine um, realities. Yeah, it's of, like experience. Of, yeah, <laughs> 
a genuine Zoom call. Oh, yeah. We're not faking it. Um, Tim did some call research amongst travellers who had used homestay and hotels. So people who had sort of made the leap, if you like, some of whom were open to, to jumping back, some of whom weren't. And what we picked out from this was that the hotel sector as a as a whole was, was quite bad. And this is going to sound really strange given what an importance they place on the particular word. It's quite bad at groups. Mm. And I don't mean groups of individuals who might be assigned or delegated to attend an event. Um, groups of friends, groups family groups, groups of people who want to, they want to be together, like that old uh, yes. society advert. Uh, so if you think of the, the, the group of, the group of, the group of mates um, revisiting the city where they went to university, or you think of a, a stag or a hen party, or you think of a, a girls reunion, or you think of um, a whole load of couples getting together. The appeal of a home share is that you have your own private space to to, to sleep and to ablute in, but you have a kind of semi-public space where you can gather. Now, in a hotel, you can have your room or you can have the public space, but you might not want that. You might not want other people, um, more, more so when there's social distancing requirements but five or six years ago when that wasn't a thing even then the the idea of having to do it in a public space and not having a lounge where you can relax or you can chill that was pushing people towards homestay um think of a couple of colleagues going on a business trip and they've perhaps got to prepare for a presentation the next day if you stay in a traditional hotel you either have to do that prep in a busy lobby or you have to go to each other's bedroom to do it um service departments actually kind of provided middle ground where you've got this lounge but this breakout area and, and i've often thought that when designing a hotel corridor if you like some way of partitioning some semi-private semi-public space might have been an interesting way to tackle uh the, the, the lure of the homestay sector hmm, architects please please do listen and stand take on board you raise a valid point. Just to just to finish, wrap it up before we ask you the questions that we ask everyone else. I want to make a small point, bringing it back to biscuits on uh, the sharing economy versus hotels. Um, I am now of an age where, as delightful as it would be to gorge myself for two whole weeks on holiday, that's not really an option. So the sharing option, the sharing economy, the the shared space allows you to be a bit more flexible about when you eat what you eat I don't need I don't I'm not forced to go to a breakfast buffet between the hours of half seven and half nine I don't have to be ready I don't have to got up and washed and then be tempted by the array of fried goods that there are all that good stuff um so I'm just going to lob that in as a as a food related option to consider around flexibility and eating and healthy eating and all that good stuff Yes, it all comes back from the history of hotels, which is the hotels tell you how you will stay. Um, and um, people are now getting really, you know, ooh, consumers' rights. And <laughs> they're like being told what to do all the time. They want to do things like the way that they like to do uh, with their foamy oat milk and, and all the rest of it. Oat protein, milk, bar. Think of protein bars. Oat I milk didn't have a protein bar. 
You shouldn't. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> let's eat some normal food, for God's sakes. But <laughs> some meat, just some raw meat. But, just a pack uh, of bourbons for breakfast. Exactly, exactly. And you should be able to choose to eat your pack of bourbons for breakfast. But the hotel sector does not want you to choose. They want to do the choosing for you. James, can we ask you the questions that we ask um, all our guests in sort of summary of this fine chat? Absolutely. Yes, by all means. Okay, Dex. When the shutters came up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did was, I think we all know the answer to this, because it involved bourbons. <laughs> Actually, no, because at that point I was still um, practically nil by mouth. Um, <laughs> The first thing I did, and, and I'm, I'm expecting a sort of, ah, reaction to this, um, not wanting to lead the audience mm-hmm. or anything, but I arranged for us to go and see my 96-year-old great-aunt, who we hadn't seen since the previous Christmas. She lives down uh, in Leon C. Oh. Um, she wasn't able to come up for just the one day that we were allowed to, to mingle. Um, so we had not seen her for some time. So we booked a couple of nights in a hotel, uh, at, uh, you know, the, the glamorous destination here. We stayed at, um, we stayed at South End Airport. Congratulations. And, uh, to be fair, very, very nice holiday in there managed by interstate, but nonetheless, South End Airport is a, a niche, um, particularly with very little overseas travel it's, it's a niche destination but it was it was it was good for me and for my parents to go down and see my great aunt so that was the first thing um that i did and then then i went and played some football and we were allowed to do that as well good very wholesome and active in many Not ways the way i play okay <laughs> the best thing about the hotel sector is okay and i've got very very recent experience of this um we've just got back from a couple of nights at all brighton hall um where we actually were staying as a as a prize there was a little competition that leo entered to identify all the animals on some lovely maps that they produced of tourist attractions nearby now i really like maps okay mm. I, I, I talked to her about how i really like biscuits i really like maps and I'd observed that I'd really like these maps. And they said that if Leo named all the animals, they would give us a prize. I was expecting a book or something, but actually it turned out to be a stay at all Brighton Hall. Um, one year later, we got to take that and they really spoiled us and they looked after us. And it wasn't the stuff as such. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the room. Nice all those things were. It was the thought that went into it. And it's, it's quite... It was a, a, an interesting experience for me because it's about 23 years I've been working in or adjacent to the sector and I've kind of seen it all. There's very little that surprises me or that actually is genuinely new. And actually, while this wasn't new, it, it did remind me that if you give people who work in hotels the time and the opportunity to get to know their guests before they arrive, to find out what it is they're looking to achieve when they stay somewhere... Now, sometimes it might just be, I want somewhere to crash when I'm visiting a city. But actually, a lot of the time, they, they might be looking for the hotel to be part of the experience. Anyway, if you let people put thought into it, then you will get some good results out of it. So um, the best thing about the hotel sector is undoubtedly the people, so long as 
that people are given the opportunity to focus on the guests. And so say all of us. I like that answer. The hotel sector would be significantly improved if this one this one might not be well received. I think it would be significantly improved if there were fewer providers. And this isn't a, a an, in, an in general. There are a couple of specific providers. I'm obviously not going to name them. But there are a couple of providers that if they were not operating, it, think of it as thinning the herd. The, the is, it, is, it, is it Britannia? Because <laughs> oh, they, they, did, they did come up with um i've got some cracking photos of the hotel on the panorama last week oh yes obviously there are some providers catherine that if they um (laughs) is it that if they didn't exist Mm. would it would be better for the sector as a whole it's not just one organization it's any hotel where somebody goes and has such a bad experience that they write the sector off and they look elsewhere and they start moving to, to to homestay, if you like, or they start completely rejecting the concept of a hotel because of that experience. So it's, it, I suppose it's any, any hotel that actually is so bad, it harms the sector, <laughs> needs to be put out of its misery. Cauterised, yeah. We could make a list. Um, what the industry needs now is love, sweet love. I mean, obviously, it's what the world needs now. But the industry has been absolutely battered by the last eighteen months. It's shown an incredible amount of resilience. It's gone through no end of uh, requirements to 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 make it COVID safe and to adapt. And I don't feel that it is particularly appreciated by the government as it should be. Uh, you look at campaigns like Seat at the Table, you you look at um, a lot of the requests, for instance, that UK hospitality are making and, and the government just doesn't seem to be to be listening. Now, I appreciate the government can't support every industry, so so there does have to be a trade-off and no one sector is going to get everything. But even if it were just something that could increase confidence, I think that would be that would be quite important. Some Something that says, you know what, they do so much, there's so many COVID safe provisions that you're probably going to be okay going to a hotel or having a meeting, an event or something like that. I think the more of that that can be, that can be done at a category level, um, the better. And finally, I'd like to think we've learnt from this. I'd like to think that we have learnt we learned the importance of being a little more flexible, um, that one size doesn't fit all. So so you mentioned earlier about how perhaps hotels like to do the choosing for people. I'd like to think that perhaps there's been a realisation that that is not long-term going to um, attract people back from sectors where, you know, where, they, may have, where they may have left. Um, I'd also like to think that we've learned to, to be nice and to work together to find a way out um so we've had a number of really uh (laughs) difficult conversations if you like with with our clients over the last 18 months because they've been facing 
I mean, they've been shut, so they don't want to be paying for stuff. Evidently, one when they've been when they've been shut, and we have worked with them to try and find solutions that actually suit them and us. Because as a supplier, you know, we have to we have to keep our doors open as well. We have to keep our capabilities in place, and I think you know, ninety nine percent of those conversations have had a really good outcome. There's been a couple, unfortunately, that haven't. Um, but I would like to think that the importance of working together um, has been has been elevated during this time. I hope so too. That would be a nice thing to have learnt from it all, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah, it would be. And there are some businesses that that you know we've been talking to, and they've they've really been they really struggled when they were shut down, but they treated their people fairly. They didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't take sort of knee jerk decisions. They, they were flexible with their teams and their staff and with their guests. Um, there were some quite high profile stories right at the beginning of companies perhaps that weren't and didn't react very kindly in the first instance and, and others that did. I, I'm drawn to, um, I think McDonald hotels were particularly good right at the beginning. And I know that Best Western, um, Rob Patterson, I think's just left, hasn't he? But he he was tireless and in, in you know cajoling those hotels and, and you know it's like herding cats, I would imagine, working with hundreds of independent hoteliers trying to get them under one banner. But he was tireless in getting them to sort of coordinate efforts and to offer themselves up as hospitals and to, to do this, that and the other. And you'd like to think that those people who who did all of that great stuff at the beginning will be rewarded when everything reopens. Um, James, that's this has been a fantastic podcast. It's it, we've have um, not only su- you've surpassed all our expectations in terms of getting musical puns in there. I don't think we've had quite that many musical puns ever. So terrific, um, super biscuit chat, lots of actual. <laughs> Lots of actual important information and research findings, which is also why we're here. Let, let's not forget that. Um, so enormous thanks for your time. Um, Catherine, love to see you again and hear you because not everyone else can see you. I appreciate that. Hear you. Thank you. For your it's, contribution. it's important it's- to ease the people in gradually. <laughs> exactly. we'll see you later. Yeah. Let's just <laughs> hear you for loose. now. And yes, thank you very much, James. Thank you both. It's delightful to be back. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, I think you're supposed to leave reviews or subscribe Ooh. or something. Spotify. Spotify sounds that. like a word, doesn't it? Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that Ooh. good stuff. So if you fancy doing that, we'll send you a bourbon as thanks. Um, many thanks indeed. <laughs> Until next time. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.